Hi, I'm Jason Greger. My definition of relentless is never being afraid to fail. Pick yourself back up, keep pushing. You are capable of much more than you think you are, so never take no for an answer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I'm Kyle Dubay, and we've got a pretty awesome guest today, Mr. Jason Greger, who is the host of the Jason Greger Show on AM 1260 here in Edmonton, Alberta, and also involved with the Oilers Nation group, and I think there's Oodle Noodle involved there and a whole bunch of other stuff. Jason is a, a, a someone we're going to get to know a lot better on the podcast, and we're thrilled to have you here. Welcome, Jason. Well, Kyle, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to meet you face-to-face. Yeah. Ah, nice hairstyle. You too. You too. We got a good. You're just a thinner version. You know, it's good. We are. We realize we are the same era. Same. Yeah. I think we're only a year apart. Yeah. Um. But you grew up on a farm. Yeah. And I. Grew New Sarepta. Big shout out New to New Sarepta. Love it. Booming metropolis. Actually, they have a. No, it's actually gotten smaller <laughs> since you were growing up there. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a. It, uh, we're not even a village anymore. It used oh. to be a village, now it's a hamlet. They have a they have a hockey rink there, though. Oh, buddy, yeah, yeah. sick rink. They uh, they upgraded the rink now. Okay. The, the rink's unreal there. Because yeah, I remember, great. I do. I, I'm positive I played there as a kid. Oh yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. yeah, one of fat, close to the fastest ice in Alberta. It's chilly in there, so nice. it's good. Yeah. yeah, it's probably one yeah. of those really cool. I needed ones. help, so it was good. I was yeah. quicker there. <laughs> um, same era. We grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Loving some. I we were just talking how much I love you too. Mm-hmm. Not your, not your. You like them, but yeah, not. I respect not, them. They're yeah, unreal. But they, that yeah. was that. There wasn't a lot of you two on my uh, cassette tape uh, collection right. that I had back then. I was That's more right. of a, a dance guy. I loved all the dance songs and uh, big into rap and uh, and then I also like uh, like Quiet Riot and uh, my father really got me into Elvis Presley mm. and uh, you know Buddy Holly and uh, the oldies. Uh, you know lots of. Um, I really enjoyed like uh, you know Little Richard yeah. and uh, you know the Four Tops stuff like that. Yeah, so. yeah, which is good. My my dad was big into the country, so I grew up oh, yeah. on the George Jones, yeah, yeah. Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, oh, yeah, yeah. all them. Right, that oh, yeah. was big in my house. That farm kid, my mom taught me how to two step in the in the kitchen, so yeah. I, know, I know how to. Uh, <clears throat> I know how to get my way around the dance floor. Yeah. So well, let's good. talk about that. You grew up on a farm. What was that like for you? Oh, I loved it. I couldn't, yeah. um, you know, that's really all I knew. Now, I was unique because we lived on the farm and then we moved into Leduc for, for six years. My mom was a, a vice principal at the junior high and then the high school. Okay. And, um, but, you know, I think my mom and I, we preferred the farm and so we ended up moving back. My dad grew up in, in Devon. My dad, I don't mm. think he knew a horse from a cow really <laughs> until he married my mom who grew up on a farm. And, uh, but my dad taught himself everything by, by mm. the end of it. My mom has six brothers. And, uh, when he first started, he used to have to call them all the time, you know, to get help. We didn't, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. So dad fixed everything, you right. know, like he'd be on the phone talking to the case, uh, dealership in New Sarepta and they would always help him, you know, cause they kind of knew our, our financial situation. So yeah. he just weren't in the position to replace everything. So right. dad fixed it all. And he, he taught himself all that stuff. It was, yeah. you know, I look back on it. I was more the cow guy. We ran the farm pretty much together. So was it full-time farming your Dad did? Uh, yeah, he in, he worked in the oil field, and then he had hip surgery when he had an artificial hip. He okay. didn't had a hip replacement when he was, what would that be, 44? He was pretty young, yeah. so I uh, couldn't really work anymore. So then he just ran the farm, yeah. and uh, he drove bus just to keep himself busy. He was a yeah. bus driver, and uh, unfortunately, he passed away really young. He's only 56. Mm. But uh, for those years, up until you know when I lived at home, and then I moved out, but I, uh, even when I moved out, I was still you know helping out with the farm. Like I loved it. There was just something... Um, you know, my mom jokes, I'm kind of an animal whisperer. I have a real good connection with animals. I love yeah. working. Like I had zero patience for the machinery stuff. Right. And my dad was the opposite. He had all the patience for that and not as much for the cow. So yeah. there was, uh, there was lots of blue air sometimes when we worked together, but, uh, we got along great too. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was lots of fun. Like the farm life for me, um, I really think that's where I got my work ethic from. Sure. You, uh, anybody who grew up on a farm, you get up and there's just, there was always something to do. Right. Yeah. Um, luckily my parents, like we had a balance. Um, we didn't work on Sundays, right? That was, you know, my parents were like, you can't work every day. You got to have fun. So, yeah. you know, when I got older and, you know, I was going out, I never, you know, my mom gave me a curfew once I broke it and she said, okay, well fine. You don't have a curfew, but you figured out cause you're getting up on Saturdays at seven. So however late you want to stay out, it's your choice. Hmm. And, you know, after a few jugs of water thrown on you at 7 a.m. on Saturday, I realized, you know what? I can be home by midnight on Friday nights, but I'll make sure that Saturday I can stay out late because yeah. I don't have to get up and work on, on Sunday. So, right. you know, you figure out things just uh, by actions rather than words sometimes. Right, right. Good life lessons. I think, I think you know, I'm a city boy through and through. Uh, nothing about me is farm at nah. all. 
Um, no, you missed out, man. I think I did. Yeah. I think I did because I know a lot of people that did grow up on farms. And I uh, actually, one of my really good friends uh, is a dairy farmer. No, that's, see, that's full time. That's I think dairy farmers I respect them. That's crazy because there's no days off. At least nothing. You know, I got calving season, but in the summertime, you know, my cows are out. They're just, you know, you got to go check on them every yeah. few days to make sure they don't have a hoof rot or something. But in the summertime, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Well, right? I just remember uh, years ago bringing the whole family out to their farm, and I felt like that. What's that show like? Uh, you know, like this is how it's made or oh, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever that is. Like yeah, yeah. I felt like I was in some show like that because we were blown away by this operation. It's oh, robotic. Yeah. It's this. On his phone, he's looking at every single cow on his farm. Like it's just incredible. Yeah. But again, a lifestyle. We didn't have that growing up. Well, there's there's no cameras. I don't think he did either. Yeah. But this is all kind of new yes. stuff. But the thing is, the point is, I I have no idea what yeah. it's like to live on a farm. I, I need a Seven Eleven pretty close to me. There, there's very few thrills like when you can, um, you know. I always wanted to be a vet a little bit. I've, I've taken some mm. courses, so I know how to preg test and stuff like that. And, mm. Yeah, I helped a lot of our cows uh, give birth. The only yeah. thing I couldn't do was a C-section, mm. right? I helped the vets uh, yeah, when yeah, they needed yeah. that. But there's just there's like a, a real thrill when you can when you are there and you can help it out. And you know the calf comes out and it's alive, and you're just like, you know what? Hey, if I hadn't been there, maybe the calf wouldn't live. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, so it was great. And all of our cows were, were born at the farm, so they all had names. So there was. You know what? We treated our cows pretty well. Yeah, that's and, awesome. Uh, it was, uh, Is the farm was a good still there? Our farm's still there. Yeah. We actually sold all of our cows. My mom's 70. Uh, well, she just turned 78. Okay. And uh, it was just too much for her every day. Yeah. Um, you know, my son now, I, uh, I'm i busier being a father now yeah. uh, on weekends and stuff. So it was a little bit harder to get out there. So we, had, I asked my mom whenever she was ready. I said, it's your farm. It's your decision. Just give me a year. So I know, so I can prepare for it. Yeah. So we sold the cows last November. Okay. And so I knew it was coming and it was okay. So it's been a little bit odd this year because it's the first time with no cows and, this, right. and uh, calving. And calving season was always my favorite, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of the other stuff I could have, you know, I didn't, like, I didn't miss getting up when it was minus 30 and I'm going to go feed the cows this right. winter. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a nice change. But yeah. So this is, um, you know, this is the first year without them and uh, it's bone dry. So it's kind of maybe a good thing right now. Sure, sure. So, uh... How does a farm boy from New Sarepta, was, was being a broadcaster your dream? Was this something you fell into? Like, like how did this all come about? Because so, you went from, you would have graduated, we'll call it early 90s out of high school. Yeah. What did you do right from there? I just worked in the oil field, you know, okay. I was slugging it out, having fun, playing junior uh, hockey, no high level, just junior B, loads yeah. of fun. And uh, so when I was 20, uh, you know, 21, I think back then, and didn't really know what I was doing, so I just I worked in the oil field. Yeah. And I uh, ended up uh, working at uh, premium oil field inspection. I was doing uh, uh, ultrasonic testing for downhole drill pipe and did that for, for many years. Um, you know, I always was into sports. I have a really good memory. Uh, even when I was in the oil field, they used to bug me because, you know, I bought both papers every day and I read them front to back. You know, yeah. I just needed something. Like, it wasn't... It wasn't my dream job. It didn't challenge me a lot. Like I used to hope something would go wrong because then at least you'd have to sort something out. Otherwise, sure. it was just redundancy, right? right. And uh, I have a lot of respect for uh, for certain jobs in the oil field because it's tough. And uh, you know, hey, I worked in Fort Liard, Northwest Territories, in minus fifty, and just did not like it. And but right. you know, what do you do? That's that was your job, so you have to to do it. Now that was only once, but still, like those were the coldest five days of my life, if I recall. Yeah. But so I was I was doing that, and um, true story. One day I was I was on the road. Um, when I, in, when it was busy, I ran my own unit. So I had my own hotel room and then the people worked below me. They, they shared rooms. Um, in the summertime it would slow down and then the operators would be in a group together. And so we'd go on a tubing unit and there was four of us. And so you had to share a room with someone. And at that point I, I was kind of like, man, like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I was single. I didn't have kids. And I'd seen a lot of guys that sometimes you kind of get locked into that lifestyle because now you have kids, you have a responsibility, you're making a certain amount of money. That's your lifestyle. You want to keep it. I didn't want to get locked in. And right. so, um, but the, the final deciding factor was a guy and, you know, I probably should thank him, Jason Beatty. And, uh, we shared a room together and, um, the first night I slept, I fell asleep. I was tired. No problem. The second night I was up, I think I was watching playoffs or something. And uh, he fell asleep, and this guy snored like, you know, everybody, I don't know if certain era, you remember the Fred Flintstone? Yeah. And, you know, when he's snoring, he's bouncing out of the bed all the way, and he comes back. Well, this was crazy. Like, I'm throwing pillows at him and trying to wake him up, and it, it, nothing happened. So finally, like 4.30 in the morning, I grabbed the duvet off, and I go to the bathroom. I lay it on the floor like a sleeping bag, 
roll over the top like I'm in a burrito and I'm under the sink and I'm just like looking up. I'm like, there's got to be more to this, man. I can't do this. Hey. So literally, I came back. From, we, we, we drove home, I think, the next day. I called my mom. She's highly intellectual. She's worked in um, post-secondary for years. And I was like, hey, I want to go into radio and broadcast. And I grew up listening to John Short. I'd spent many yep. hours from it. I, and I used to call into a show like I was kind of a sports junkie. And that's, yep. that's what I wanted to do. And I never really gotten around to do it. And so finally, uh, I went back to school, had to upgrade a few courses, which are a little humbling. And uh, then I got into the, uh, to the program at Nate, started in um, January of uh, 2000. Okay. And so at that point, I was 27 years of age. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the oldest guy in the class. And, but I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and then I lucked out because when I, my, so I worked, that was first semester, I went back to Premium Oilfield. Uh, the owners were great. They let me work there in, in the summer to make yep, money. Yep. Then I went back to the second semester. And then in uh, January, of, so started my third semester, uh, John Short was doing a show live. He needed an on-site engineer. And uh, the guy who was doing the job, who was leaving, he knew me. And, and most people knew. And, and Nate, the, you know, I was the kind of known as the sports guy. So yeah. they're like, hey, Gregor, this is probably a job you want. So John interviewed me for 20 minutes. It was like the easiest interview of my life. He just asked me sports questions. Yep. And uh, he said, hey, you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. So... Uh, and, and like in life, sometimes you need a break. And Rob Kerr was his regular producer, and he got really sick. He was off for a month. And so I'm in school, and then I was working every night because I was only supposed to do it on order home games. You know? And then so John just got to kind of know me more. Um, he, he eventually brought me on air a few times when guests wouldn't show up. And he's like, geez, you're pretty good. And so that was, uh, that was it. And then, that was the start. Yeah, and I was actually supposed to do my practicum at, at another place. And John asked me about three weeks before. He goes, why don't you do it with me? And I was like, well, I didn't know he could. And because he didn't really, he wasn't, he, he owned his own show on a station, but it wasn't like a part of the station. It was oldies 1260 until 9 p.m. at night. And then it was the, it was sports talk with John That's Short right. from 9 to I midnight. I remember it. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't even know it was an option, but sure. So I did my practicum with him. And when it was done, uh, he said, well, you don't, we'll give you a job, but we don't have a ton of money. So you're going to have to learn how to do sales to, to make a little extra money. And then we did play by play at, at any sport, anytime.com, which was a website that was kind of the first time where you had like junior hockey so i did junior a hockey junior football play by play i loved it yeah and that was kind of how i supplemented my income for a few years it's so interesting to me see i didn't know that you were out in the oil field for that long yeah like a good six seven eight years oh well really yeah. probably eight or nine because i worked or you know api valve my my uncle my, my late uncle clayton and now yeah. my cousin scott and shelly they own that company yeah, so yeah. i worked for them when i was 18 19 a little bit and so you did that for quite some time oh yeah i was in the oil field you know for in different areas for probably eight or nine so years. i think this is this is a cool part of your story is then you go nope i want to go into sports broadcasting yeah fortunately hook up with a legend yes right? john short was for me like that was the guy he man. was, was but on. he was the guy oh yeah he was i mean if you're if you listen to anything sports in this area you knew who john yeah. short well john was. was really the first sports talk show host in canada right yeah and incredibly talented so oh, good so smart smart guy no, terrible hair but a really good guy. <laughs> well that's why he's on radio <laughs> knew everything yeah about every sport yeah. like it was always great we actually used to phone into me and my buddies yeah, yeah. after playoff games because we try to one-up one another on the calls just being idiots oh, right yeah um got, like put it this way guys like us guys like you hate guys like us <laughs> but we would uh the the attempt was always to see how many movie titles we could get into the conversation uh, okay yeah, yeah. and we would do it with john yeah, yeah. It, really it's disrespectful now that i think about it um, but I had the record. I had 13 movie titles oh, in one film. Right. It was very good. Uh, it was just, so I'd be like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard Oilers fan. Yeah, so yeah, there's okay, one. there you go. Yeah, and John, I'm assuming you're diehard too. Yeah. too. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just shit like that. It was pretty funny. Um, but no, he was fantastic. So then you start your engineering. Then he's because I actually do remember this. Him bringing you on from time to time. Yeah. And where do we go from there? Then what happens? So because it, oh, actually, sorry, I'm going to cut you off. You said he owned his own show. Oh, him and Bob Suter. Bob was in charge of all the sales, and John was on there. They basically rented their airtime at night. Okay. Yeah. And I know Warren Suter pretty well. Oh, a yeah, buddy yeah. Of mine. Yeah, Bob's yeah. son. And so this is similar to what you do now. Yes. So did, did you get that model from Oh, him? 100%. 100%. I, I didn't know it was even an option. Right. right. And so... Then so he did that for a bit, but then you know John was getting older and he wanted to go in the afternoon. So mm -hmm. uh, they moved to CJCA, which was a Christian station, and then they had a sports show in the afternoon. Not yeah. not the best fit in, yeah. in hindsight, but um, it was actually good. We ended up making more money okay. uh, when we were working there, and then was also doing the play by play. And then we had Rob Kerr um, and myself convinced them to have a night show. Okay. So we had John Shore in the afternoon, which I produced, 
and you know, did some hits and stuff. And then at night, we started the, just a game from 11 p.m. until 1 a.m. Okay. And uh, Rob was hosting that, and he did it for six months. And I kind of knew he was leaving because he was, you know, had applied for some places. And so he got the, uh, the job in, in Calgary in the Fan 960. And then I got to host the, the night show. So I would produce, and then I would host a show from 11 to 1. And it was great because really on the Christian station, it was like I was in a small market as sure. far as your listener audience. But I was in a major market of covering NHL right. and covering CFL. And it was... You know, it was outstanding. It was a great way to uh, to learn because the only t- the only way you get better in radio is you need airtime. It's just mm-hmm. that simple. Like I was all prepared to go to Moose Jaw and Leftbridge and different place, Lloyd Minster. Like, you, need, you need to get your reps yeah, in. Like that's kind of what I expected. Yeah. And being a kid from rural Alberta didn't bother me. Right. But I lucked out and I never had to leave Edmonton. That's impressive. Then from there. Then we went, so then that, that only lasted about a year and a half, and okay. I knew it wouldn't. And then the all-sports station had come in in, in the fall right. of 2003. Right. Uh, back then it was Team 1260, now it's TSN 1260. Yeah. And so in January, we left CGACA and, uh, and then talked to, to, back then it was Marty Forbes and Carl Stark were, mm-hmm. uh, were running, uh, it wasn't even Bell Media, I don't even know what it was called. It might have been, uh, God, was it Astral? I don't even know. Yeah, there I been did, so many different I ownership think groups. it was. Uh, might have been yeah. Slate yeah. even. So... Anyway, so they came, and so we, we purchased an air, a block from 9 p.m. till 1 a.m. John would host 9 to 11, and I would host 11 to 1. And so we did that for a bit, and, and I was starting to get decent at sales, but the money was all going into a pot. And now I'm, geez, 32, 33, and I'm not making very much money. And so I'm like, I got to sink or swim here. So I went yeah. to John and said, can I just own my show? I said, I don't want you to have to worry about me. You're, you're 70. I'll run my own company. And I went to the station and said, you guys, can we make a deal? I'll just buy my airtime separate. John buys his separate. And so they said, sure. So my first show that I owned, uh, it's, I started, I, I played in the world's longest hockey game mm-hmm. uh, with Brent Sake in, yeah. in February of 2005. And then on March 1st was technically the first day of me uh, owning my show. Okay. And um, the, the best thing I ever got, Paul Hockey, uh, who was the, uh, the coach of the U of A Ringette Club. He was also uh, an, uh, an accountant. And I had emceed a lot of his events. And so I was talking to Paul about what I was doing. And I said, I need an accountant. I didn't even know he was an accountant. He's yeah. like, well, I'm an accountant. So he became my accountant. And when I look back at my business life, that was the best thing. I had an accountant because he told me, I didn't know anything about CRA and all these sure. taxes you got to build because I didn't have a business background. Right off nothing, all that stuff. I knew nothing about business. Yeah. And so I literally, when I first started, I grabbed an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, one of my best friends, Scott, had had an MBA, and so I'd asked him a few questions, but I just took an Excel spreadsheet and said, okay, i got to pay the station this much a month. i got to pay my producer, Will. I'm going to have to pay myself. So this is how much money I need, minimum, yeah. just to, to get by. Yeah. I didn't even have a category then for taxes because I wasn't really thinking that. Right. And so that's how I started. My mom gave me a $5,000 loan, yeah. um, just, and I was like, I'll pay you back, and I paid her back in like four months. The Things went a lot quicker because I had a few advertisers that were mine from original, right? So... Blue Sky Limos, um, one of my really good friends at the time, she was the, uh, um, the, man- the uh, marketing manager for Boston Pizza. Okay. So they were on, and I had uh, you know, a few, some of my clients I actually still have yeah. uh, from there, like Leading Edge Physio. Okay. Um, they were one of my original ones and from 2005, which yeah. is awesome, 18 years later. And so I started that from 11 p.m. till 1. And I just, I sold my show by myself and I hosted the show and, you know, went to all the games. And because the show was 11, I could go to the games and then come back and, the, and, and, and do the, the, yeah. the post-game show, really. Post-game shows yeah. is what it was. And so, you know, I was get up in the morning and, you know, do sales kind of the day. And, man, the one summer when I started my company, I, no joke, and I'm not a golfer, really, but I played in 50 charity golf tournaments because wow. I just needed to meet people. Yeah. And a lot of those just conversations with people led to different sales. And then after a year of that, um, I moved my show from nine to midnight, did that for two years. And then in 2008, I moved to the afternoon and I've been there ever since. When we think of the word relentless, I'm thinking of what it took for you to make this all happen. You, like you said, work till one o'clock, get up in the morning, go and do sales. You were literally selling every you still do that. Yeah, I you're still, the one that yeah. gets all the advertising. Yeah. So let's let's go back to our era. Let's think of WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest shows. Oh, uh, John, Johnny Fever. Johnny oh, Fever. Are you kidding me, dude. Herb dude. Tarlick. Herb. Well, who was a sales guy? Yeah, yeah. Right. No. Her, Herbie Tarlick. Um, and really, it was it was Jennifer that I had a big crush oh, on. Oh yeah. Which right? which, I mean, which young teenage boy didn't? Yeah, she was my all time favorite. Yeah. But. Um, but so what, when, when I think of a radio station, unfortunately, not unfortunately, cause it's such a good show, which I think it only had three seasons, oh, God. maybe four, which is too bad. Should have had more. Um, 
you, that's what you think. You know, you've got your on-air personalities, you've got your manager, you've got this, you've got sales, you've got, you did it all. Yeah. Like you really did. And I didn't even know that you could do that with the radio station. I thought the radio station determined everything. They hired their people, but you, you, well, John short. Yeah. John taught you started, how to do it. you know, so it's a little bit of luck in life. And so I, I'm, I'm never, you know, there's people I hear, you know, self-made. I don't know if anybody's ever really self-made. Sure. You know what? Cause you have somebody that at some point believes in you or gives you an opportunity. Now you still have to make the most of that, but there's very few people that just walk in and are kicking down every door. Somebody's opened it a crack. Then it's up to you yeah. to push your way through it. And, um, you know, I, I think I got a work ethic from my parents, not, mm. not really in a, in a lot of verbal ways, just more seeing it and, and watching it. And, you know, my parents worked hard. And so at the farm, like, you just worked hard. You didn't yeah. really, that's kind of what you, that's what it was. And so I, I also, I'm a big believer in, I was lucky. My parents loved each other and they loved their three kids. And so I always had a security in our household. And mm. I didn't know that at the time. But as I've gotten older, and now I'm a father myself, I see the power of love. And when you have love in your life, you suddenly, you have more confidence to try. Because I was, when I never, and I also, you know, I've never really been, I'm more of like a three quarters full glass, right. not even half. I've always, when, when you look at situations, lots of people, yeah, well, what if this happens? I'm like, why do you focus on the negative? What if this happens and it's the good result? Sure. So I don't really ever worry about and, and focus on the what ifs in a negative way. I never really have. I think it's counterproductive to life. I, I think it's, I'm wasting energy on stuff I can't control and something I don't even know if it's going to be an outcome. So why sure. am I going to worry about that? So I, you know what, and I look back on it, it's kind of all of what I've known doing all, everything. So that's just kind of what it is. And I like it because, you know, when if something goes wrong, I look in the mirror and say, hey, idiot, you got to do better. Right, <laughs> so, right. you know, there, there's... Um, it's accountability. Yeah, and not everybody's built for that, and that's okay. I never thought I was a business person. Like, no one really in my, my... My parents had, like, a small business at the farm, but I never really got into it with my mom or anything like that. Right. You know, return on investment, I didn't really learn until I ran my own company and right. had to figure out the numbers, right? Which so, is interesting to me because you, when we talked yesterday, you said you've never taken a business class, you've never done anything like that, but yet you are a businessman. So a lot of people that, this is where I find it interesting, people would go, oh, he's a radio guy. Yeah. They're, that's actually probably your smallest part of your job in some ways. Yeah, the on-air to me is like, being on-air is the easy part of my right. job. Like I can talk, ask any of my friends and give a woodpecker a headache at times. So um, that part's easy. It was, you know, I don't love sales, but it's, if I want to be on-air, then I do sales. You and, have to. And my, my sales strategy has always been 100% be honest to people. Yep. I, don't, I don't like to sugarcoat things. I just say, hey, this is what it is. Um, I, I believe in long-term relationships. Uh, probably 70, 75% of my clients are seven-plus years on my show. Yeah. Um, you, know, you build business friendships out of that, and some yeah. are personal friendships. So much it. of it's about relationships. Right? And you, just, you have to be honest to people. And you know, if they respect what you do, and not everybody has to like you. I think in our society now, we're a little too focused on, I, I can disagree with you and respect you, doesn't mean I have to like you and hang out with you, but I'll respect you for, sure. you know, if you have something, your opinion only matters to the point you can defend it, right? Yeah. I've, uh, I learned that from a long time ago, and I, and I think it's, it's something that's very powerful. And nowadays, people, well, I'm entitled to my opinion. But not if your opinion's based on fallacy. No, you're not, right? right? You're entitled to say it, and I can tell you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong. Right. So, um, you know, for me and in, in, in what I've done, it's, uh, I've never thought about really what I can't do. And I don't really have big pictures. I've not been a guy who writes down on a piece of paper, here's my five-year plan. I've never really done that either. I just, yeah. I'm like, hey, if, if life's going good and then there's an opportunity that presents itself, yeah, let's try. Let's right? I, and I know what I'm good at. I also know what I'm not good at. And so I don't focus my time on doing things that I'm not good at. Or you bring people in that are good at that that can help you out. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, That's it, the way I run my organization. Yeah, in business partnership, for sure. Like yeah. I have, you know, some, um, you know, Clark's a guy that I'm in business with a lot, and you know he he knows technical internet coding stuff on a level that I you know I'm, I'm like an infant right uh, when it comes to that. So right. yeah, I definitely like talking to him, and 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 you learn things from different people. You, uh, I'm a big believer. You always want to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you in different areas of your life. That's it's right. going to challenge you to have to change your way of thinking. Yeah. And you also can learn stuff. I'm not a big believer in, in um, you know, getting in the echo chamber and, and only hanging out with people who view things the exact same way as you because that's very dangerous. I feel the same way, and it's the way I run my organization, too. I quite often sit there and I go, I am not the smartest guy in this room, but I brought all these people together. 
let's go. Like, yeah. Let's make things happen, right? Hello, everybody. My name is Kyle Dubay, and I'm the host of the Relentless Podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening. I'm so glad that you're going to join us. Being relentless is not easy, but being relentless can work. That was the aha moment. Then the work started. Yeah. Specifically, what I cared about was the organizations that were having an impact in the lives of youth. Everybody's welcome down yeah. here. And that's what we wanted the ballpark. Inclusive. It is inclusive. For your first podcast, you really went all out. It, we're not playing here. Like, we're, this is what we do. This looks like a, like a low rent UFC show, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Will. Like, you You're like a the Dana bit. White of UCAN. Uh, with the bald head, You're, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And Dana I'm, Beige. Yeah. I love talking to these folks. I love learning about them, hearing their stories, and I hope that it's going to be the same for you. So, go back to what you're saying too about opinions. That's one thing I really do like about your show is like, sometimes you do get into it with people as far as, well, no, I disagree with this, I disagree with that, which I think is awesome. Uh, You and your your co-host, Jason Strudwick, uh, who's a connection that, that you and I have together. Sometimes you and him can go out of pretty good, which I think is great. Oh, Stratton and I get along great, but we, we don't have to agree on everything. No. And, um, and, you know, when we first started, eventually, like I told him, like there's times in, in radio where you can't always agree. It's boring. Yeah. So I'll take a counterpoint. Even if the, I don't 100% agree with it off the air, I have to find ways to disagree on air. Yeah. So conflict. It's, it's important because there are two sides. Right? Not, not to every story, but there are two, two ways you can look at things, and as long as you can back it up. And so you know, sure. like, there are times when we'll talk about, say, hey, what do you think of this? Okay. You know, now, there's certain things I'm just not going to take the counterpoint because like, I'm like, I can't defend that. It makes yeah. no sense. But in a lot of situations, you can say, well, what about this and what about that? And so I, I think it's, you know, it's important. I'm, I'm definitely a, I'm not afraid to voice my opinion, yeah, right? which like is good. I, I think people, and, and some people I find, um, they don't like it because... I'll question you. Like, I'm just not going to listen to your opinion if I don't think it's... Like, I'll listen to it, but then sure. I'm gonna qu- I, I have no problem questioning it, right? And I find people like, oh, you always want to win an argument. I'm like, I really don't think of... I don't view debate as a win or a loss. I'm not in the debate club. I was never in the debate club. Yeah. But to me, I like challenging and learning and asking questions, saying, well, I don't really think that's right, and here's why. And if, if you can back it up with data, then the discussion could go on longer. But I find nowadays people... The minute they disagree with someone, oh, geez, we can't be friends. Yeah, we or, can't do that. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with people? Yeah. I don't, I, some of my best friends, like one of my, actually one of my best friends, uh, agnostic, and I grew up Catholic. Yeah. Right now, I'm not huge, and thankfully my parents raised us to question a lot of things. Sure. Right? Like, I think it's a good guideline. I'm not like, oh my goodness, everything in the Bible is 100% true. I'm like, give me a break. You know, like, I don't want to get into a, yeah. a yeah. religious debate here, but... One of my best friends, we'd have great discussions sure. over things that we didn't view. I respected his viewpoint. This was mine. And did we make a lot of jokes about it? A hundred percent. And so I, I don't think but also you have you to got, be. You have a relationship with yes. him, right? Yep. Which is good, which, which makes it even more meaningful probably. And then also maybe even a little bit easier because you know that at the end of it, I still love you, man. Well, right? and the difference was he's one of the strongest moral people I've ever met right. in my life. Right. So... And I've, unfortunately, I've seen some people who claim they're very strongly religious right, and the biggest hypocrites I've met. So exactly. I, that's why I've never, I don't like to put anybody in a box and say, oh, all religious people are this yep. way, yep. all non-religious are this way. It's, and I, I think that's a real problem that we have to, to somehow change our viewpoint in society because it, you know, it's terrible on the political spectrum. You're left or you're right. I'm like, no, I want to be in the middle. And there's, there's some days there's good things they say and some days there's things I disagree with on yeah. both sides of the ledger. Yeah. But nobody, now it's just that they want to be blind partisan. It mm. drives me up the wall. Well, I love listening to you and Struddy go at it. And Struds is a good guy. Oh, he's, he's a good he's, guy. He's a genuinely good guy. Genuinely good guy. Um, uh, my buddy Bub apparently taught him to skate backwards. And... Um, I don't know if that's a good claim, but a um, I don't know. Yeah, do you want to take claim for that? I'm not sure, but um, but that's what he claims. So the thing about you as well, though, is that it's not just radio. You've gotten into some other ventures as well, which I think is cool. Um, do you want to talk about those? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. The um, you know, it's, sometimes you make good decisions that you don't even know they're good decisions until later on. And right. so back in 2008, um, Clark and Jay had met me. Uh, they had started a website called Oilers Nation. They were two diehard fans. They were mad about the Ryan Smith trade. <laughs> and, that's how that started? Uh, that's true. That's how it started. Wow. Yeah. I think the first website they, they called it was um, 
trades, mini trades. I can't remember what it was, but it was something about Ryan Smith. I didn't know it was all started because yeah. of that. And they were mad. And so Clark obviously really understood the tech side of it. So they, yeah. that's when blogging was starting to get big. And so yeah. they had approached me. I'd been writing in sports scene in different places for a while. So, you know, and was covering the team. And so they wanted somebody with some credibility. Sure. And so, or perceived credibility, I should say. And uh, then they asked me to, to write. And I'd, I'd owned my company now for three years. And, and I was just like, I don't really want to work for someone. So mm. I said, can I buy in? And they were shocked, and then so we had negotiated a price, and you know, so I bought in at twenty percent. And I didn't. But, but, but sorry to stop you. You saw something then. Well, I, I well, I I believe I was looking at the landscape, and and the like the internet's pretty big, and yeah. I'm like, hey, I don't understand how to code or anything, but I understand how it works sure. on, on the front scale and how much people read and look at stuff. So I, I felt like, you know, it was basically taking the paper and going online, right? And I think the you know younger people were gonna to gravitate towards at that. that and especially in 2008 that whole time yeah. everything was moving that way yeah. yeah and so and i was still i actually about a year while i was writing for orders nation then i got to write uh which for me was awesome because i grew up reading the edmonton journal but i got to be a columnist uh, in the edmonton That's journal right. Yeah. right and so that was a lot of fun but i uh and you know i had a friend of mine named susan who was my editor who really helped me to to write better and when i look back at people in your life that that Without them, you might not have been anywhere. Yeah. And she helped me for no cost, just out of the goodness of her heart. We were friends, and she was really good at editing. So I would send her stuff, and she and not not just edit and send it back. She would send it back with notes. Okay, sure. this is why, and here. So, you know, be smarter, figure sure. it out why. And it was amazing. And so, when Clark and Jay approached me to write, I just said, sure, but can I buy in? So I ended up buying in. And then, you know, over the years, you know, like every now and then, it was like three idiots running this website. And then all, geez, we got to do it like a cash call. We got to get some sales. So then we'd really work hard, but. You know, we were running other companies. I had my radio yeah. show. And, you know, Clark had his um, programming one, and, and Jay was running uh, Oodle Noodle and different yeah. other things. So um, that was like a hobby almost. But we were working at the same time, and you'd have to spend a fair amount of time yeah. on it. And uh, I was like the lead, one of the lead writers. And so just over time, we ended up getting some other stuff. Clark had a great vision of we bought HockeyFights.com, and then we bought Daily Face. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that oh, was all wow. part of the Nation Network chain. Okay. And, um, and we brought in some other uh, some other um, investors over time, and then last November, uh, well, I guess no, November of uh, twenty one, we uh, we sold it to uh, Playmaker, and oh. uh, you know for more money than I ever thought. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, that was unbelievable. Uh, one of those business things that you learned about, and it was very different than mine. Mm-hmm. Right, and I wasn't a hundred percent in, so you have to learn how to be a teammate a little bit more, and yeah. you know, not every decision you get to make when you're the when you're the sole owner, every decision, good or bad, you're it all falls yeah. on you. You're the boss. You're doing Can't it all. Blame anyone. But now, like I like how you put that. You're a teammate. Yeah, you got, and you know, I've all, I played junior hockey. You yeah. know, I'm still really good friends with a lot of guys. I played junior. Yeah. I always thought I was a pretty good teammate. Right, yeah. and yeah. so I think that's important. That's sports isn't about going to pro. Sports is about teaching you life lessons mm. and how to interact with different people it's and huge. be competitive and learn how to lose and learn how to win and really have a lot of fun. And learn how to follow and learn yes. how to lead and learn all those things. So many young people really have no idea. We didn't either. Had no idea the life skills we were learning yes. as we were involved with it that yeah. were just naturally You have happy. to be coachable. So eventually yep. you have to be somebody that a boss wants to hire you because you know what? You're going to be a hard worker and you can take criticism. You can yeah. take advice. You can take direction, all those sorts of things. And I think it also, because I'm like, you know, Mr. Anti, not anti, but they also got to know when, oh, that's kind of a shitty coach. And it's okay uh-huh. to maybe ask some questions. Here, oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So I think it's all those things. So I didn't realize that the nation was that big. Because mm-hmm. then there's also, isn't there Flames Nation? Oh, yeah. No, it started out with Oilers Nation. Then we went to Flames Nation, Canucks Army, Leafs Nation, Jets Nation. There was Red Wings Nation. You had uh, NHLnumbers.com, DailyFaceOff.com, HockeyFights.com. That was, you know, that was wow. a pretty big purchase with Singer. That was awesome that he partnered up with us. Yeah. And, uh you know, so it just kept growing and growing. And you know what? Uh, we, we actually, when you build a company and anybody, when it gets bought, you, you want somebody who has a vision that's going to maybe make it even better. Sure. And Playmaker, I think, is that. So that, yeah. that made the sale a little bit easier for me just in what their vision and what they want to go in the next few years. Like, so now, you know, I'm just, I'm just an employee uh, for them, right? Yeah. Still write for them and stuff. Yeah. More of like a freelance employee. But, you know, it was... Yeah, I learned a lot. You're what you time. didn't want to be in the beginning. Yeah, but now it's it's different. But right? now, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The company's too big. Exactly. Right? Like it's you know, there's you know, how many different websites, how many podcasts. That's are an on incredible an story. I didn't yeah. realize it was that big. That's yeah. very very cool. Very very cool. You're also involved in the Oodle Noodle stuff. Yeah, not, uh, not like there crazy, was more but... as an investor okay. um, with Jay and Clark and um, part of the franchise corp. And then yeah. we, we how we many ha- Oodle Noodles are there? Oh, now they're up to seventeen, man. Oh, wow. Actually, we just opened up in Calgary, so it might be. 
eight, 18 now. Wow, okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, Jay's on an unreal job uh, monitoring that. It's a little different in that one. That's more of an investment. I don't, more I don't of a feel, silent I, thing. I don't feel a, as much of a, a connection to it because I don't do a ton of work. Right. Right? So I see what it does. You and just I, sit and back I see and the collect the checks, yeah. buddy. Well, no, no. That's, okay. That's a, that's a great fallacy, but uh, not yet. So, yeah. um, uh, no, it was actually good because. You know, with those guys, they learn because in my company, I had um, you know I had a higher ROI each year. I'm never going to be able to sell the Jason Greger show. Really, it's kind of difficult to right. sell it when you're not there. But right. um, for for Oodle Noodle, it was always when we started to make money. Then it was like, oh, now we're investing in a new store. So I'd always joke like, "Do we ever get any of our money back?" So it was kind of a funny. But yeah. so you learn how different businesses operate yeah. at different uh, at different levels. So. You're also involved in some more online stuff, are you not? Um, are you getting into this with yeah, Clark? Yeah, Clark and I have another uh, project that's on the go yeah. that's, uh, that probably will be public here, and, and I can't say anything about it now. Oh, but it, okay. it's up and running. Sorry, We're sorry just, I should oh, have no, brought no, that no, up. No, 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 you can bring it up. No, yeah. one, It's not like they can search it to find. Like, yeah. it's up and running. Yeah. We just... It's like, you know how some restaurants will have a soft opening? Yeah. On the internet, we're having a soft opening, soft getting launch, rid of yeah. the, the bugs out of it. So yeah. it, it is functional, and, and uh, it's, um, it's a little AI-oriented. Uh, okay. So cool. it's, I just like learning stuff. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's what we do. And now, you know, we're into some real estate stuff that we do in Edmonton. Um, Clark and I have a real big vision. You, you want to try to help the community where you're at. So it, we have some, some things like, uh, you know, we're part of the Little Brick um, Cafe, okay. which is fantastic. And, uh, and then we built our second um, uh, building just down the road uh, from that. And so just, um, you know, Edmonton's tourism, most cities' tourism is about 10% of their total revenue and what they make. Edmonton's about one. Mm. And we have the greatest river valley going. Yep. And so we, we look at ideas and, and what we can do. We have a bed and breakfast place now and stuff yep. like that. Look at this, eh? People think you're just the radio guy. You are an entrepreneur extraordinaire. No, I know. It's pretty that. cool. It yeah. is pretty it's cool. It's fun. You know what? It's a... It's, um, I, I got a thirst of knowledge from my mother. My, sure. my mom's, I, no joke, I think she's read 10,000 books. She's yeah. one of the most well-read people. Like, you know, I got to sharpen my skills when I go have coffee with mom. She's a PhD, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, yeah. that honestly was one of the coolest moments of my life when yeah. my, my brother and sister and I, uh, my mom had, uh, um, she started at the U of A and then her, the prof moved. So she actually did her, uh, her PhD and got her doctorate. From, uh, from UBC and so we went to the ceremony and it's like role reversal now yeah. here's the three kids and we're in the crowd we got taken pictures and my mom's on there and she's got her robe on yeah, and everything and it was amazing. you know it was awesome I, like when my dad passed away uh, suddenly you know my mom she you, you, you talk about uh, relentless mm -hmm. that's that was my mother she um, like I was helping my dad run the cows for a long time and my mom was doing all her work with uh, in the education and everything you know she's deputy minister of education stuff she worked for the deputy minister of education I should say and she wrote the curriculum for social 30 and mm. so she's very very educated and so but she was like she grew up on the farm and when dad died it was like no we're keeping the cows and I'm just going to figure it out and we ended up actually for a few years we had more cows I'm like what are we doing so um, but you know, you, you get a lot from your parents. I, I, you can, maybe yeah. good or bad. Sure. Sometimes it's bad. Yeah. And, um, you know, just that work ethic and being relentless where it's just like, hey, you know what? The love of her life died. Uh, my mom's never remarried. She's never had any interest in remarried. Yeah. You know, and she told me honestly, she goes, I just, I can't bury another, another yeah. love. It's too hard. Yeah. And so, you know what? I always respected that. Um, our relationship changed after my dad died. I, I, for a part of me a little bit, you know, my brother was a father at that time. My sister was married. She had uh, uh, expected uh, her, her, she'd actually just gotten married a month before my dad passed away, thankfully. So he got to walk her down the aisle, which was yeah. awesome. But you know, they were starting young families. I was 27. I didn't have any kids. I barely take care of myself. So you know what? I, our relationship with my mom, we had conversations. I don't think if my dad died, we ever would have had. Sure. And so a lot about the farm and, you know, there's a few things, you know, some guy propositioned her once for hay and I was like, are you kidding me? And so <laughs> I came kind of like a brother in a, in a way. She's still my mom. Yeah. But at times I felt like I needed to look out for her. Not that she needed, she just needed some support at times. And yeah. so it's, uh, you know, it changed uh, our relationship you know, for the, for the positive, right? Like I definitely, how I worked in the barnyard with my dad, I couldn't work with my mom, mm. right? She, my dad and I could really go after each other. <laughs> mom was like, you can't talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to adapt, right? <laughs> yeah. You're used to, because my dad and I never held against. My dad, the greatest advice I ever got from my father, and he didn't say a lot, was at our barnyard, the barn was here, and you'd walk down the alleyway, and then here was our garage and our house. And there was a white fence that we'd walk through, a little gate. And my dad said, what happens on this side of the gate stays on this side of the gate, and then we're through. And I was 16, you know, 15, I'm like, Okay, like dumb and naive. I'm like, hey, dad says it, sure. 
And when I look at my life, that's how it is. Like mm. I can get in disagreements with people the next day. Like my buddies, we've had arguments, but sure. you're still good friends. And that's sure. people. That's the best advice I ever got from my dad. I, I use it in business and friendship. Like yeah. if somebody's a friend and they want to be in business with me, but that's a separate entity. Like yep. now we're business friendships over here. Yeah. I'll talk about your family, everything else, but here's business. This is what we're doing here. Yeah. And without him knowing at the time, it was like the best advice he ever gave me. Maybe he did know. Yeah. You know? Um, let's talk, let's totally shift gears. Sure. Um, you have a book that you have read that has made a significant difference in your life. And I also know, um, in listening to a couple other things that you've done and just talking quickly to you, um, your dad did have a significant role in your oh, life yeah, yeah. and, and his death had a significant role in your life because it was sudden. He was young. You were young. Um, let's talk about, and now that you're a father. Let's talk about the importance um, of fatherhood because I know you're very passionate about that. I think it's, in our society today, it's, it's the one thing that uh, does not get talked about enough. I think there, there's men that are at times a little worried to mention, hey, what about us? And, and I think it's, uh, it's something that needs to be discussed. And oh, before anybody freaks out, doesn't, my mom is one of the biggest, strongest, powerful women I've ever met. I love strong, intelligent women. It's fantastic. Yeah. But... There's lots of numbers, and the book that anybody, everybody out there who's a, if you have kids, you have son or daughter, or you're, you're a grown man, definitely, I think mom should read it just as much. It's called The Boy Crisis by Warren Farrell. I read a lot of books. I love reading books. Yeah. I'm more, I like true stories more than anything else. Yeah. Um, this book, though, I, there's never been a book that I've highlighted so much, and I go back and I, re I read it over and over. There's just... It's very important. There's, there's lots of things. Something that, you know, unfortunately, I know you would know firsthand. Um, like simple things that never get talked about in public. Um, boys 16 to 20, five times more likely to commit suicide. Yeah. Boys 20 to 25, six times more yeah. likely to commit suicide. There's a real purpose void for, for boys growing up today. Right, and a lot of it stems from way back in, in caveman days that they used to be warriors in, in the tribe. That's what it was. Like you, you were raised, and, and unfortunately, you gave up your life, but that was your sacrifice, right? And there's not that, thankfully, uh, anymore. It's not like you know, you're Leduc and Beaumont are going out and having a spear sure, chucking contest, sure. right? It just doesn't happen anymore, thankfully. And so there's a real purpose void in young boys. And, and Warren Farrell, he was a real big proponent of, of the woman's movement. So that's what I liked about the book. It wasn't written from some guy who was like, oh man, we're getting screwed over, because I don't believe that. I think I, I watched my mom go through it. I have no doubt in my mind, but I always like to have the conversation today and ask my female friends, okay, it's 2023. I said, what can, what can I do that you can't? And they don't really have, there's like, ask yourself that. And so the, there's still so much talk all the time, all the time about this massive um, division in opportunities for boys and girls. And in fact, it's actually the opposite of what we see in the public. Education for boys worldwide is 50% lower in reading, writing, and arithmetic, 50%, hmm. right? Um, you look at jobs and how the world's changing, and you look at uh, healthcare and education, dominated by women, right? And, and you look at it like, oh, you're a male nurse, you get mocked for that, right? Like there's lots of things in society that, that, they, that were terrible that happened to women, mm -hmm. but it happens to men and it's okay. Like mm -hmm. think, about, think about TV shows. How many positive male father role models are in a TV sitcom? Not many. Can you think of many? Like, the, the irony is probably the best TV father was the biggest piece of shit in real life in Bill Cosby. But Heathcliff Huxtable, as a father, yeah. was smart, educated, you know, loved his kids, what yeah. you kind of, what you'd want, and, and was promoted in a good way. He was humorous, but he was supportive of his wife. Sure, she was, you're right? sure. Like, th like, Phil Dunphy might be the closest one. He's funny, loving, yeah. but he also always got to be a doofus. His wife Ooh. always says, solve things. Like, screw off with that. Like, I love Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah? He was awesome. Yeah, but when you think about it, there's not a lot of them. And it's like, why? Like, why yeah. is it okay to just downplay the important? It's like the saying, the saying that dries me up the wall is happy wife, happy life. Mm. Suck it. I'm sorry. Do I want my wife to be happy? 100%. But my happiness is just as important as hers. And guess what? If we're both happy relationships are even. And the yeah. greatest line that Warren Farrell had in the book, when one sex wins, both sexes lose. Yeah. It's bang on. And the other line was, we, you wouldn't try to live without water, air, or mothers, but we've tried to live without fathers. Interesting. And those lines, like it's very simple, but it's true. And it's a conversation that needs to be had. It's something I'm very passionate about. Yeah. I, I, you are passionate I, about it, man. Uh, like I promote, to, I tell, I said, hey guys, 
be a good dad. Yeah. Like be a good loving husband, yeah. right? Be supportive of your kids. And, and in the book, the, there's so many things in the book that really kind of made you go, wow. And this is based on tons of studies. Um, you know, Warren quotes a lot of it. I recommend the book. But little things where they talk about, because in society, it's, it's like mothers are the greatest thing. We can't survive without our moms, mm-hmm. right? You know, Tide commercial, it's like the sporting events. I coach minor sports, yeah. okay? I have the early morning practices. You know who's in the crowd? It's not the moms. Okay, no offense. Some moms. Like some some yes, moms. But it's majority of the dads. Yeah. And that's okay. Some moms. But you read there. the Tide commercial, oh my God, it's the moms do everything. Like little things like that, just maybe I'm, I, I notice it more, but I'm like, hey, wait a sec. Why, there should be some about, hey, dads, they do a lot. And in this book that, that Kyle, I think a lot of people would be shocked about, is they did a study on kids. Because, you know, in the ideal family format, you know, it's, it's a husband and wife. Ideal. You can have great, um, whether it's two women or two men. Fantastic, right? Uh, an unhealthy man and woman is not better than two healthy men, two oh, healthy absolutely. women, or a single parent, absolutely. right? So this is we're healthy talking people. Healthy, people, healthy people, for sure. But they talk about in the study how kids who come from single parent homes, who where the dad's the main single parent, or the mom's the main single parent, the kids actually have done better, especially boys. And this is why it's the boy crisis, because there's such a void of fatherhood. Right. And the court system still in 2023, Think about how one-sided it is in favor of women. It, it, it definitely is. And you know what? In my line of work, um, many of the young people we work with lack fathers. Yeah. Fathers and are important. Just so are as moms. They're so important. And they're equally as important. Yes. And, great word. And that's what I think, too. You know, um, And I see it just cause, really because of my line of work. But I've always looked at my job as a dad as the most important job I've ever had. 100%. The most rewarding, too. Most rewarding. And, and frustrating. <laughs> and most heartbreaking. Oh, for, yes. I you can know? see, yeah. Um, and most frustrating. And most, you know, I mean, I, I say it all the time, and I'm not an abusive person, but, like, my, my sons have been punchable many times. <laughs> but I'm punchable as a dad. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to rub each other the wrong way. You're going to fight it out sometimes. But I do believe that it is the most important job in my life. And... Um, it's the one where you don't necessarily get instant feedback, but later on, um, and I think for me, even as a kid, like I, I always knew my parents loved me and, and I, you know, I, like we had a pretty, you know, we tell each other you loved him and, sure. and that was great, but you kind of took it for granted that you had the support system, but cause my parents were not helicopter parents. They, right. you go out, you try things. If you fail, you pick yourself up and sure. you go again. And having that Same support is, is a big advantage. And, but now as a parent, I, uh, you know, I love being a dad, you know, I love being a husband. I think there, you know, it's, it's great to have both at times. Um, and you know, I, I like watching how, how my wife interacts with my son. Cause she does things better in certain situations Absolutely. that I do. And then there's certain things that I do better. Absolutely. But, that's, that's, but that's called partnership. Yes. That's, that's being on the same team. Mm-hmm. That's that equality part. There's things in my wife that I can't do. Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. But I also think there's things that I can do that she can't do. It's yeah. impossible with our, with our kids. And so that's. That's where I look at it, and I think it is the most important job that I will ever have in my life, ever, 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 because the outcomes, um, they do depend on uh, on a lot of things that I do and I say and I treat my boys, but for me, what it is, too, is like, I'm a, I'm a hugger. Oh, yeah. And I believe that we need to do this with our boys, big time. Yeah. This, you know, I actually think hugs from a dad are probably more important than hugs from a mom. They, they might be. That's what I think. They're, they're so used to it. And so my son and I, he's uh, the odd time we bike to school lots. And there's a few times when, you know, I'll drive him. And so, you know, he's nine years old. He's in the back seat, and, yeah. and we pick up one of the neighbors and we drive to, we split drive yeah. together. And so I know, cause for the longest time, you know what, uh, when it's just me in the car, he'll still give me a kiss goodbye. Sure. Right. And I, and I, and I love that. And you know, I want my son to be comfortable with sh- expressing himself. Yeah. It's one of the biggest things we talk about. You have to be able to express yourself, yeah. fear, anger, happiness, whatever it is. Um, now when one of his friends is around, of course he doesn't want to do sure. it. So sure. I have a thing where I sit in the front seat and he's in the back or whatever. And I do it like this. And that's like my yeah. air hug to him. And yeah. I'm like, okay, Ed Beckett do this. Yeah. And he's just like, Oh dad. Yeah. And, but he still does it. Right. Absolutely. Even though he doesn't love it. And he's still Still does it, and I chuckle every time because I'm like, you know what? Down the road, that's something that he'll remember because I remember my he dad will doing remember. similar stuff. And you know what? Don't stop it ever. No. Do you know that my my grandpa Dubé in particular? Um, and unfortunately, he died young. He was 63, car crash, but back in the mid 90s. But I'll tell you what: every time we left my grandpa, you had to give him a kiss oh, on the cheek and yes. a hug. Yes, 100. And so my dad. 
every time I see my dad, I give him a hug and a kiss on a cheek. Yeah. My boys, I insist, you know, no. but the thing is, as they it's get important. older, it's funnier. As they get in their 20s, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? But there's that stage, and it's there's kind a of stage there's where a they're stage, like, and it's fun, but it's yeah. a, but as but, a dad, but I still made them. it's part of your job. If, yeah. if you're not making them a little bit uncomfortable oh. every now and then, are you yeah. really like, there's got to be the days where, them yeah, a little. 100%. Right? I just think it's an important conversation. I love that you're willing to have that with others and, and that you're, you are passionate about it, which I think is good. Another thing you're very passionate about is philanthropy. And I know that you are very involved in different charities in, in our community. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, you have your own foundation that you started, yeah. which I think is amazing. But here's, here's my take on it too. There's certain people, public figures, if you will, that do some of this work. And some of it is just like, oh, get the photo op because it looks good. That's not you. You really do care about these things you're involved with. Where does that come from? I must, I'm, I think I know the answer because we're going to go back to your values in the farm and mom and dad. But like, there's something within you that you attach yourself to some of these. Why? Yeah. And what are they, the main ones? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, my mom told me from just as a young age, I, I had a lot of empathy. Um, yeah, I, I'm, like luckily, I wasn't raised in a, in a very you know violent situation, so you know I don't um, you know now I got in fights in hockey, but whatever. Sure. But um, I, I was always empathetic. I had like a I look out for others. My wife kind of jokes like, "Oh my God, you're such a softy." You know, you'll you know, somebody asks for money, you'll give them money if you yeah. can. And and you know, there's a few life lessons that I, I learned from my dad. My my dad didn't speak a ton about his childhood, but um, different era when they grew up, and you know, him and his, his dad loved him. But there just there wasn't a lot of communication, right? Yeah. It's just a different time, right? Yeah. You grew up in the '50s compared to, to now. It was just the communication, and you know, yeah. sadly, how society of you, oh, men got to be tough, and you don't cry, and on yeah. that garbage. And yeah. thankfully, we're not there anymore. But so him and his dad didn't have a very close relationship. Now his dad died young, unfortunately. He had asbestos, had cancer from where mm. they worked in the dry cleaner. And so I remember a few times my dad, you know, I'm like 15. Dad, why is it important that we do stuff? And he goes, Well, I wasn't close with my dad. And that's not going to happen. So my dad broke the cycle yeah. because you are sometimes what you see. And so, you know, um, and he talked about how they grew up fairly poor and so they didn't have a lot. And my dad, when, when you grow up like that, it doesn't leave you. Like my dad, even when my mom and dad were doing pretty well, he never spent money on himself. Like my mom had to really like he in, in the 80s when the recession hit, like for four years, my dad never got a new pair of jeans. My mom mm-hmm. would like just put patches on him. Right. Like and as a kid. I always thought we had everything. I always had hand-me-downs, right? Sure. Like, I don't really ever went without anything, but we never had anything new. We, you know, we never had a big new car. And that was fine because I didn't care. And so um, a lot of it comes from, I think it's important to help others. If you're in a position, um, I know I have a platform that can help others. And, and Edmontonians and surrounding area are one of the most generous. Like, you look at the, the amount of money they donate yeah. here. It's higher than almost anywhere it's in the incredible. country. And it's just, so a lot, I'm not the only one. There's lots of people. And some people just, they kind of need, you know, to know a reminder of what to do. And yeah. so I did a lot of background research. I partnered up with charities that had low administration fees because mm-hmm. I don't want to raise money yep. to give someone a job. Yep. I get that you have to, it's like any business. You obviously, you have to spend, you have to have good people in there, yep. fundraisers and stuff. But ultimately, I don't want, if your admin fees are 55, 60%, what are we doing? Like, honestly, that's, that's not right. I don't no. like that. It makes me sick. Yep. So I started out with some, you know, the MS Society. Uh, they were great. And they were great to work with. And when I come up with ideas on, how to raise money, you know, they would make it easier on my show. And so they would start a website like, you know, Gregor runs or bikes for MS. And so we would do contests and different things to help people raise money. And I, I'm always thinking, I think most people want to donate, but if you can make it a little bit more fun and exciting in there, there's a prize at the end. And then people want to do it more. And then, um, and then the, the, so I have two big ones. I have what I call month of giving. It's every December in my show. And every day on the show, we auction off different item and 100, the item is 100% donated. Yeah. And so it's, okay, we'll donate this, but we need, the, no, it's either you donate it or you don't. And that's fine. Yeah. But most people now know what it's about. And yeah. so it's a hundred percent, um, all the money we raise, we help out the Christmas beer or Santa's anonymous or, um, uh, you know, the, uh, how does one get in on that? Uh, well, can you know, I apply? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, it's funny because I, nowadays people know, and 
and I've always said I'll never kick out the charities that I've had. Mm-hmm. You know, Operation Friendship sure. Senior Society. Um, Great charities. We have Brightfield Elementary, which is just a, a lunch program so kids can have a yeah. meal. It's yeah. like something so simple as that yeah. that they can eat every day. Otherwise, they might not eat. And yeah. so, um, you know, there's uh, the Holiday Hamper, which, you know, helps out a lot. And so, so we, we do those and, and we auction off. And then it was funny because our listeners had emailed me because a lot of these packages would go for 5000 Like, Greg, I really want to help, but I don't have five grand. Yeah. And so on the Positive Friday, which I started many years ago on my show, on Positive Friday, we do the Pyramid of Giving. And that's just where we have people can donate 100, 200, 500, or 1,000. So people want to feel part of something. Yeah. And, and if all you can afford is 100, that's unreal. Yeah. That's still way more than somebody else. Absolutely. And, and so I think it, it builds a little community within our show. Um, people understand that maybe those days, well, well, I'll have to talk a little bit about charity and different things and a little less sports and no one ever complains. No. And so we did that. And then the, the charity that I started on my own uh, was is the Gregor Foundation. And it's it helps high school boys and some girls who can't afford a suit for grad. It's amazing. And so it's, I got the idea from Annie who runs Cinderella's Closet. And I thought it was great. And I explained it in what, what Cinderella's Closet is. Women would donate dresses. That they, that they don't use or they don't wear yeah. anymore. And girls would come and they get fitted and they get their dress. Yeah. So it's keep. Great. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's great. But boys work just as hard and boys feel, want to feel good about sure. themselves. So my audience is predominantly male. Yeah. So the first year we took all these suit donations and then, which was great. And Paige Dry Cleaner had chipped in. They were going to do, donate all the free dry cleaning and stuff like that. And then we got them all and I teamed up with Mr. Dirk because they're my clothing sponsor. And so I needed somebody to like fit the kids properly. And so Sterling and everybody there would do that. But when I got all these suits, a lot of them were 40s and 42s. Because lots of guys have suits in their closet that they're dreaming that they'll fit in again. They yeah. ain't fitting in nope. again. Like the dream's over. Yeah. Okay, you've grown bigger, yeah. maybe this way, that way, whichever way. Yeah. And so we got a lot of donations. But a lot of high school boys are 34s and 36s. And so it didn't work. And you can't take a 40 and tailor it down to a 36. Like, I, no. you know, Annie told me that they can take a size 7 and you can make it a size 10 or a size 3. We can't do that yeah. for suits. So I just said, well, guess what? I'll just raise the money. So now, um, and so this is our 10th year. Uh, we're up to 152 kids this year. Wow. And so I raise all the money myself. And 100% of the money, 100% goes right to the boys. And it's for a suit, a shirt, a tie, shoes, socks, and a belt. And, and pride, which... I don't think you can put a price on it. You can't and put a price on it. You know that. what? You get some real emotional letters from the kids. Uh, the one thing I have, if my, for people that are big sponsors of the, of the thing, I really encourage them. I like them to come see a fitting. Because yeah. when they see where their money goes, it changes. It's a game. Because sometimes, you know, people, you can write a check. You know, I'm a big believer in emotion. I'm a very emotional person. I'm yeah. a crier. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed I actually got through that talk because I cry thinking about it. Because yeah. you see those kids, and they step in the mirror the first time, Kyle. It is unreal, mm. and uh, you can't you can't really put a price on pride and just they work really hard. A lot of them, you know what? They they come from tough situations, and you know I had a few boys this year. Like you know his mom just had uh, she just was diagnosed with lung cancer, and you know was the oldest of three kids, and now they're a single parent household mm. working, and it's tough. Like they don't have the money, and um, so you hear their stories, and you're just like, hey, you know what? If I can give them an opportunity to feel good about themselves and they feel part of it. Otherwise they're never going to their grad. And mm. you know what, if you choose not to go because you're just like, you know, it doesn't interest me, that's fine. But if you want to go, but you're not going because it's 17 and 18, it's not, you know, you want to, you don't want to ever stand out in a negative way. You don't want to show up in a pair of jeans where everybody else has a suit. And I totally understand it. So that's what we do. And it's, uh, it's awesome. And uh, you know, like Mr. Dirks and how they treat the kids. I don't want the kids to be treated any different than no. anyone else who comes no. in for a fitting. They're, right. they're already feeling a little yeah. marginalized as is. And, the, and yeah. the best surprise, like Papa John's, like we get some pizza for because nothing better than to kind of break the ice and yeah. you know, get some pizza in there. Yeah. And when the, when the kids show up, like the schools do all of the background checks to know which kids are deserving of this. Yeah. And um, so the teachers come in. You can tell how much these teachers care. Yeah. Like they really care yeah. about their kids. And teaching, it's, it's an underappreciated profession. Yeah. So shout out to all the teachers and principals and counselors yeah. and everybody who's part of it. But... The kids don't know that the suit's theirs to keep. And I always go to all the fittings because we do about 30 or 40 a time on, on a day. And we can do that basically from 10 a.m. till 1 because then yeah. I got to do my show. Yeah. And um, I get to talk to the boys and I can explain them why we started this. Um, I think it's important to help others. And this is yours to keep and here's why. Right. And then we explain to them, we tailor it so as they get a little bit bigger, they can let it out so it's not just going to be worn for two years. Right? Yeah. So you want to make yeah. it so it's more sustainable long term. And it's, uh, it's worked out really well. It's one... 
you know, obviously it's, it's something that I pour my heart into because I do all the work with it, but it's just, you get to see the reaction from the kids. And the only thing I ask from them is I like to see a picture just because my wife and I want to see how they like, sure. you know, you see they're smiling. You're like, hey, look at those kids. But I ask them to send an email and a sentence or a paragraph what the suit means to them. Because then when I go to companies who want to donate, the kids' words are way more powerful than Way mine. more powerful. And I'm like, here's why we're doing this. Yeah. Here's what they have to say. And it's, it's Listen, my fundraiser, the Comedy Nights, I go up and I give the propaganda. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's the young person that we bring up to yes. talk that means the most. Yeah. Everybody talks about that. Everyone goes, that, what that young person said impacted me so much. I'm so inspired by that. And that's, that's why you need to get those testimonies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like that's with kids sport. I've teamed up. I do a lot with kids yeah. sport. And just, you know, I think sport can create so many opportunities Absolutely. for people. Just feeling part of something. Learning, yeah. oh, geez, I, I can be competitive. And I've learned, like, you know, relentless. You have to be relentless in life and sports, whatever, to try and know that if you fail, you're not a, if you lose, you're not a failure. Well. You're only, and you're not a failure if you don't try your best, but you know if you tried your hardest. If you try yeah. your hardest and lose, guess what? Sometimes you're both really even. There's got to be a winner. There's got to be a loser. It's, it's just time it to, you know what? Get up. Let's do it again. No, yeah. And so you know what? Uh, this, this has been a great conversation. You are a relentless guy through and through. And it really is inspiring to me, and I hope other people listen, because you, you've had to work. Uh, your ass off and you continue to work your ass off to make things happen not only for your business your 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 different business opportunities but also for many people in the community and I think of these boys in particular with these suits it really is an incredible thing and I know this because of the work I do and and the poverty that I see and and not even the the poverty the situations where young people or families get into where it's out of their control Mm -hmm. and and then they can't afford a suit or they can't afford certain things and I think it's incredible Oh, well, and, I appreciate and I thank that. you for it. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think do. it's important. And also, you know, selfishly a little bit, I do it for my son because I want him to see, you know, hard work because yeah. I saw it for my parents. I don't, my son's too young. I'm like, hey, you got to work hard. Like the only right. thing I ever ask him in hockey is you just try your best, yeah. right? Or any sport you play, you try your best, yeah. right? And, uh, but he, now that he's older, you know, he's nine, he's, you know, he sees things, he asks like, dad, what's his foundation? Like, who are you helping out? Sure. And why do you do this? Oh, and, he'll learn. Right. And he'll so learn. you just, you, you want to teach kids and, and other people that the biggest reward I get in my life is when you can help someone else, like I get way more satisfaction from that than I do helping myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I honestly think the vast, vast majority of humans are like that. We have an internal optimism where you want to see others succeed. Most people like... If you don't want to see others succeed, then maybe you've had a lot of trauma in your life and yeah. you just, and, and that's okay. Like I've, I've learned in, in my life that um, I try not to judge people as much because I don't know what path they took to that's get right. there, but I'll ask them, I'll say like, why are you so angry? Like yeah. why? Like, and, and a lot of times, sometimes somebody just needs to hear and you know, they, like for me, when my dad died, um, I got up and I was never a crier in public till my dad died mm. and uh, I didn't plan on it. And then you're up there at church and I'm saying to my, and all of a sudden I'm crying. I'm like, Oh my God, this is embarrassing. Cause that's kind of what you think of. A, and then afterwards, um, but for me, it was like a real big release. And sure. then I told some jokes about my dad because that's what my dad would have wanted. Yeah. Like we had a lot of fun in our life. And I remember so many people coming up to me afterwards and about, geez, Greg, like, man, you made me cry. And I was like, oh. And so now I've known this as a kind of a joke thing. You know, if I'm ever at any charity event and I'm like, hey, if you want people to, to donate money more, I just start crying because everybody's on, okay, just give me, I'll give him a thousand bucks just to stop it. It's making me, um, what's all these, what's this salty discharge yeah, from my eyes to, right. to quote Jerry Seinfeld? So that's right. Well, and you know what? My hope is that next year you're going to come to one of my comedy nights. Come with Shogger, come with these guys because uh, they come out. And I always, I'm very honest with the crowd. I say, we're going to bring a young person up and they're going to tell your, their story. Yeah. And technically we're exploiting them. Yeah. And I tell that to the crowd and they all kind of chuckle and they go, oh, he's being really honest here. <laughs> and I go, my hope is that you're going to be inspired by this story. You might have a tear and you're going to open up your wallet yeah. to your purse a little 100%. bit more. And I tell them that yeah, because need, that is the recipe for that. People, you know? people want to feel. They and, do. And when you feel, you're more engaged. And you're more connected. That's what people want. At the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. Oh, yeah. And I believe the same as you, where I believe that people want to give to others. The purpose, we want to have purpose in our life. Yeah. That's what we want. And I think that if some of that purpose is helping others or assisting others or caring for others, it makes a big difference. We end the podcast with uh, the relentless quiz. Oh. Scientific. Oh. Had some people oh. put, yeah, it's very, okay. we put a ton of money into okay. this. Okay. Uh, we did not. 
But this is going to tell us if you are relentless, although I think I already know the answer. Are you ready for this, Jason Greger? Sure. Fruits or vegetables? Both. Okay. Okay. City or countryside? Well, countryside. I knew you were going to say that. Dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? Neither. It's funny you say that. My wife is like, it's unbelievable, Mayor, to you, because the kitchen, like, I can't leave the kitchen after dinner unless it's clean. So both are gross. But I guess if I had to pick one, I would take a dirty bathroom over a dirty kitchen. Okay. Salty or sweet? Oh, sweet. Okay. Ter- I have a terrible sweet tooth. Okay. Morning or night? I'm a night owl, but I also, I get up easy. So, yeah. um, but I, I, I like, I still, there's every few times now I just, I'm going to go watch TV. I just, there's something about staying up late. I still love it. Yeah. I'm the same way. Favorite comedy movie. Oh, oh geez. There's a lot. Um, God, so many, um, maybe old school, old school. You and I think alike. Yeah. Big party or small gathering? Big party. Okay. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? Not no phone. Oh, come on. That's a lie. What? <laughs> Everyone takes their phone in the bathroom. That's uh, the new paper. Uh, That's the new you paper. You know, it's funny. I used to. And I read a thing about it that says, if you can't go in the washroom without your phone, you got a real problem. <laughs> and so I was like, all right. Most people have a real problem. Yeah. That's what I think. Uh, favorite love song of all time? You say it best when you say nothing at all. Alison Krauss. Nice. That was fast. You were yeah. quick on oh, that. I one. love that song. Okay. Oh, she can sing that version yeah. of it too. Sick. Yeah. Uh, cake or pie? Oh God, I have such a sweet tooth. Like I- I'll say pie because of lemon meringue. Hmm. We do think alike. Last question: Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. I'm very stickler for the rules, so I will, I will think of four words. Fun, educating, inspiring, quick. All right. Jason Greger, where can we find you on the socials, on the... Uh, and really, I'm really interested in getting people to get to your foundation to hopefully donate. Uh, so where can we find all that? Uh, well, if you go to jasongreger.com is where you'll see stuff about the foundation. Uh, I'm just Jason Greger on Twitter and uh, Jason W. Greger, I think, on Instagram. Okay. I don't take a lot of pictures. You can ask my wife. So I'm not, I'm not on the IG that much. I'm not an Instagram guy. I don't guy. really. I'm like, God, what am I taking a picture of? But yeah, I don't um, get So it. half the time I'm taking a picture of my tweet because that's the easiest way to get, yeah. a, to get a, uh, some notification out. So Yeah, but, I'm not an Instagram. I don't nah. really get it, to be honest nah. with you. I just never have. But um, I, I do like, you know, I like some of the fun stuff on yeah, there. So, yeah. But I'm not. Um, I, I've, I've weaned myself. I spend less time on social media and yeah. I find I'm happier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, people are going to want to find you, though. And my big yeah. thing is I want them to be able to find your foundation. And I hope that they contribute to it. So I thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your honesty and your vulnerability and, and just telling your story. I really think it was, it's amazing. I had no idea that you were involved in – I knew you were involved in a lot, but not that much. I have no idea how you sleep without much going on. Um, oh, I, I'm actually – you know what? I, I'm a good sleeper. Well, no, I, I, just don't know, it, I just so don't know if good. you have enough time nah, to do it. That's yeah, what know. I'm saying. Hey, farm kids, man. Get up. You work. There's no point uh, wasting the day. Rock Absolutely. and roll. Listen, to find You Can Use Services on our socials, it's at You Can Edmonton, or you can go to our website, www.youcan.ca, Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. Thanks, Jason, for being here. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. All right.